We look around, but we do not see. We hear all these sounds, but fail to listen. We talk the talk so eloquently, but when the time comes to walk the walk, we just turn a blind eye. We have become an audience like those who sit around soccer fields with nice comfy seats and plenty of food and drinks to last for the game. We have become an audience who just sits on the sidelines. We're the audience to the cries of those who cry for justice, wondering if justice was ever just because now, now it's just them and their Lord. Salam alaikum, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Rogue Muslim. I hope you've all had an enjoyable week. Um, my two weeks since the last podcast, I got sick, and then I got better, and then I got sick again. Um, so that's been the story of my life. Maybe that sums up how my 2018 is going to be. Um, Salim Qasim from the Muslim Vibe had mentioned uh, The Office, the US version, in one of the rapid round, uh, rapid fire questions, and I decided to start watching it. And holy crap, it's incredible. Like, it's hilarious. And I, I like that they're 20 minutes long, um, so it's really easy to watch them. I'm on season six now. No spoilers from me here, uh, because people that give spoilers to things deserve a very special place in hell. Um, but that's what I've currently been binge-watching on, and it's incredible. Um, I don't think I really have much to update you guys on, so I'll just swiftly move on to what this episode's about. Um, so this week I am in, uh, interviewing Hassan Sayed from uh, Smile, and Smile is basically um, a non-profit organization which, um, strives to basically assist children and families that, who are affected with disabilities or different abilities in minority communities. So, I mean, they primarily work with Muslim communities, um, since it is a minority community here in Canada. And they basically seek to build connections, offer support, educate, um, people and organizations around disability and accessibility and basically raise awareness for this group of um, this this community that is a part of our lives but who are very much isolated um, and they do work in the GTA so I had a really enjoyable conversation with um, Hassan and I really hope you enjoy it it's definitely uh I don't know, I hope it's an enlightening one and one that provokes conversation and action. Um, we talk about things such as what even, what term should we be using? Should it be disability or different ability or challenges? Um, and how can, you know, getting caught up in conversations like that impact change but also um, hinder change? Um, and also how it's such a learning process and we shouldn't be afraid to be asking questions and engaging and con connecting with folks of other backgrounds, right? Um, so I think there there are a lot of things that have been discussed in this podcast that can cross-connect with other minority groups. Um, but today we're definitely focusing on disabilities um, and how we as Muslim communities and non-Muslim communities can do better and um, normalize the different abilities that people have in our society. 
So again, I really hope you enjoy it. And if you have anyone you feel would be good to be on this podcast or who I should interview, um, if even if that's you and ins- your uh, even if that includes you, uh, get in touch with me. Just email me at theroguemuslim at gmail dot com, or you can get in touch with me via social media. I'm it all has the handle at the rogue muslim and i'm pretty good at getting back to people so um probably the only place in my life i'm good at getting back to people as my friends can attest um but yeah just shoot me a message or let me know whatever topics that you feel that would be helpful uh to discuss or that you want non muslims to learn about and if there's any um you know constructive criticism you have on these podcasts i'd also be down to know. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation and um I know my podcasts are a bit long, but I really hope that the conversations um that we have in this in any of these podcasts are fruitful and inspire you to do something or at least learn something, right? Uh so yeah, I hope you have a good week and catch you next time. Kadafis. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Rogue Muslim. Today I am joined with by Hassan. Um I got that right, right? You got it perfect. perfect. Thank perfect. you. It's Hassan um from an organization called Smile. And Smile is a group of passionate and determined creative problem solvers who want to make a mission. Base a uh, uh, different sorry. Basically, their mission is to assist children and families affected with disabilities in minority communities. And so, um, sorry, my grandma just came in. <laughs> I totally got distracted. No worries. But basically, yeah. So they want to make a. Um, they want to assist children and families affected with disabilities um, in minority communities, and they are a fantastic organization. Just from seeing, uh, hearing conversations, talking with Hassan so far, and seeing their website. So I definitely urge you to check their website after you're done listening to this podcast. Um, so I would, yeah. So why why didn't you say salam? To the audience, Hassan, um, or well, whatever you want to say. Assalamualaikum, yeah. <laughs> everyone, and thank you, Samia, for having us on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Though. Oh, not a worry. I'm. Um, it's an honor to have you guys here. So, one of the first questions I ask, and I didn't put this on the uh, question sheet, but if this was your last day on Earth, what would your final meal be? Oh, <laughs> yeah. We're starting off with the tough questions. Oh okay. yeah. Everything else gets easier after that. <laughs> You know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm a sucker for uh, Hakka Chinese food. Um, so it would me be uh, at one of those restaurants just eating some crispy beef and yes. chicken chow mein and uh, general Tao chicken. Oh, yes. Yes, that sounds delightful. And you yeah. guys have more accent. Like in, in Waterloo here, there's nothing. Like yeah, I know what you're talking nothing. about. But yeah. based out of Toronto, there's so yeah, many options. There's so many options. Nice. And then anything for dessert or to drink? Ooh. Mm dessert you know what just a good ice cream yeah a really good ice cream <laughs> what flavor uh, oh hello hey, sorry I'll, I'll continue with that oh okay uh yeah what flavor ice cream uh what flavor anything mm. chocolate give me something chocolate mm. and i'll have that nice awesome and uh nothing to drink or uh, i'm trying to stick to water this yeah. year <laughs> is that your new year's uh, resolution uh, uh, yeah or, or just a habit i'm a habit. To too much pop in my life so yeah uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to cleanse your system out. Exactly. Okay, perfect. I mean, everyone, I asked this question, but everyone's is pretty simple in comparison. Like, I have a buffet planned out. And everyone's like, I'm just I, I want to hear about this. Oh, so you want me to tell you now? Absolutely. Okay. Um, it changes a bit, but... So I'm South Asian, um, and so I want uh, kichra, which is like halim. I don't know if you've heard yes. of that. So I love yeah. halim. Um, my mom makes this amazing nihari, so I want that. It's, it's like divine. Um, I want, um, what do I want? I want steak, because I love a good steak. Basically, well, we're all over the globe now, base. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, basically want every cuisine possible. I would love some haka as well. Um, love some Thai green curry. Like, uh-huh. I'm going all out. And then for dessert, I want kheer or rice pudding. Mint chocolate chip ice cream from Baskin Robbins. And it has to be from Baskin Robbins. Um, okay. I want chai. <laughs> I want mango lassi. And I want barbican, which is like a non-alcoholic drink. Yeah. I love that stuff. Um, that's kind of like at the top of my head, but like if I was actually to write it down, it'd be a lot more elaborate. But wow. big nevertheless. I, I think I just gained five pounds. Yeah. To that. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I require like at least two days notice so I can actually fit this all in. Uh, but of course. But of course, right? <laughs> and maybe just like televise it since it's going to be a food eating competition basically. But, like, everyone else just gives me one cuisine. And I'm like, no, no, like, what else? Anything. It's your last day. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody had said, you know, I mean, we can't be greedy in Islam, but, like, you know. (laughs) I'm going to bypass the whole religion thing on this. (laughs) Um, Okay, so perfect. I approve of your meal very much. Uh, so getting into the actual questions, I butchered kind of what smile is, but if you can give us an inside perspective on what exactly smile is and also does it stand for anything? Is it an acronym? So both very good questions and both that we get all the time. Okay. Um, You you did a great job by the way of introducing us, but just to kind of add to that, um, the way we look at ourselves is we're a for purpose organization Mm -hmm. um, and our core idea is to provide and develop awareness of uh, limitations faced by children living with disabilities mm-hmm. uh, and like you mentioned predominantly in minority communities um, and to be very transparent most of our uh, the kids or the children that we sort of are part of our family they're from the Muslim community because mm-hmm. that's a visible minority that has its challenges we'll get into it yeah. in terms of getting access to resources right. uh, so that's who we're trying to help uh, as for whether the name is an acronym, mm-hmm. it is not. Okay. Contrary to how it looks yeah. when it's written out, yeah. all uppercase. Yeah. Uh, but it is not. So uh, our full name, we go by Smile Canada Support Services. Um, and that support element is very important because that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. We're trying to provide support and be a resource for all these families. Okay. That's, sorry, that's awesome. And um, yeah, and we're going to get into a bit more of how um, you guys do provide supports and services to families and folks with disabilities. But how did it start up and why? What was the driving motivation to do this? Yeah, so the genesis of the organization uh, was courtesy of one person. So our founder and now president, mm-hmm. Sakina Dada. Mm-hmm. She was doing her master's in occupational therapy at McMaster University. 
Um, and one of the challenges that she saw was how, um, and actually came from a personal experience, uh, her cousin uh, and her, his family, uh, his, so her cousin who had a disability mm-hmm. uh, and her, his family, they were experiencing challenges in terms of getting access to resources, uh, just getting connected to the right people and so on and so forth. Um, so then she decided to explore this topic, like how much of a need is there? Uh, and based on what she learned, and then she published, uh, obviously, uh, her thesis on that. And basically wow. coming out of that paper, uh, that's how the organization started. So very organically out of a personal need. Uh, and then she started noticing that there was a lot of uh, other families uh, that were looking for something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like the absolute beginning uh, of the organization. That's how it started. So one person can make a huge difference. Massive, oh massive my difference. God. That's incredible. Um, and how so long ago? She was, she was really smart. What's like she started it, uh, oh. and obviously, but then she knows. Listen, if I want to make a big impact, I gotta get some really smart, interesting people in this. Mm-hmm. So then, right away, she turned to her two sisters and got her them engaged, and then it just grew from there. Oh. Uh, and now it's obviously we're coming up on ten years. Uh, of, of being part of the community and going through an evolution process right. and learning even because it's such a new space right yeah uh, where it's like uh, how do we help them best uh, what do we do uh, with everyone's time commitments and mm-hmm. the organization and becoming more formal uh, and things of that nature so. mm-hmm. and I mean I imagine the conversations you, you talked about how it's an evolutionary process but have conversations changed have expectations changed and um you know has the mission evolved over those 10 years or you know the way the mission is carried out almost absolutely Mm -hmm. so i would say the first few years um it was let's do a few events Mm -hmm. let's see what's out there uh and then with time uh as more and more people got engaged uh, and people who had a had a legitimate interest mm-hmm. uh, and obviously helping so that their own personal connections to the cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought in their perspectives um, and that really helped uh, the organization grow in a very good way mm-hmm. uh, in terms of getting more structured, become larger, expand in terms of the services provided, mm-hmm. but also expand geographically. Right. So, so like the first, let's say the first half of uh, our uh, kind of like our existence so far, it was a lot of the Peel Mississauga region Okay. Because that's where many of the early on volunteers lived. Right. So it just sort of made sense. Um, and you're kind of expanding slowly. But now uh, we've gone pure GT across. So like the East End, the West End. Uh, the West End being like the Peel, Mississauga, Oakville region. The West End, uh, the East End being Scarborough, Toronto, uh, and Pickering, Oshawa even. So further out. Um, and then with that, we've thought bigger and obviously We've had the support of the community, which is huge, uh, right? Um, So them coming on board, really supporting it, the feedback we've gotten. um, And as we got more and more uh, engaged, we realized that there's a need for this across our country, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So now in terms of like the larger, longer term plan, something we're working towards is to how can we do it well here, put a base and then explore... uh, explore chapters of this in different cities that need them. Um, obviously something that we're actively thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, it's something you want to expand the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so our ambitions uh, have increased um, because we felt we feel there's a huge need. Um, and at the same time, just super structured and more formal now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even that's going through an iterative process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how the organization has sort of evolved. 
That's amazing. And just to see that, have a visual representation um, for families and folks with disabilities to come to is huge, not just something that is, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess informal. I guess it's great to see a formal organization be there. And I, we're going to, sorry. No, I agree with you. I think it's, it's very cool because like, the good thing is we've been very open in terms of collaborating with other organizations mm-hmm. because there's a lot of learning to be had and there's there's a lot to be gained by joining forces. Mm-hmm. So whether it's uh, us working with uh, the Down Syndrome Association of Toronto, mm-hmm. particularly, and we've always uh, engaged with their events and they've come out to our events and we've supported each other right. and a few other organizations as well. Uh, uh, there's one other... I'm really going to struggle with their name because it's a long name, but it's a South Asian Autism Association okay. uh, uh, in, in obviously, in Toronto. Right. Um, so, so it's important for us to have those sort of connections uh, in terms of building what we're trying to do mm-hmm. uh, and, and to all work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back to your point of structure and formal, one of the feedbacks that we get generally from a lot of families mm-hmm. uh, that are part of it is like they're a bit hesitant to initially reach out to a Down Syndrome Association of Toronto uh, because, to put it very frankly, they don't see uh, it's not easy for them to see at least maybe yeah. uh, that there's a cultural element to it that they'll be comfortable with. Yeah. Now, disabilities and uh, obviously something that we've talked about before is there's a lot of stigma attached to it. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so yeah. a lot of families uh, who are of uh, immigrants and new to the country, or even if they're not, it's just it's hard for them to acknowledge that there is a challenge with their child sometimes. Yeah, uh, because sometimes it's not very visible. Yeah, right. Like autism, it's not very visible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can tell you a few stories about how it's been challenges for Muslim families. Uh, to be a part of mosques and so on and so forth because their kids uh, are on the autistic uh, autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Uh, so, so it's a it's easy for them to get connected to an organization that sort of looks and feels like them, uh, and then let that be either a way to get engaged and also connect with other organizations through that. Mm-hmm. So. And and I guess. Um, there's so much there that I want to unpack, but I think they're going to come through in the other questions that I'll be asking you. But just like taking a step back and going to the basic, how does SMILE then define disability or disabilities and challenges? Because you've mentioned, right, that they're not necessarily overt and they're not necessarily visible. So um, how have they, how has SMILE come to define these uh, disability? So in terms of disability, um, uh, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, certain disabilities are physical, mm-hmm. uh, certain are of, um, it's always hard to re- use the right words at the same time, because right. you don't want to be disrespectful, so I apologize to anyone if I if I don't use the right terms, never my intention is coming from a good place, yeah. uh, but they're physical of a nature, they're intellectual, emotional, um, and so as we're talking about, some are visible, some not so visible. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to this, if if a family uh, feels like their child is undergoing a disability or is facing challenges, mm-hmm. uh, then we have uh, a process to kind of get them connected and engaged, right? Okay, yeah. So the first thing any family goes through the moment they reach out to us mm-hmm. is what we call an assessment. Okay. So we have an assessment team, which is predominantly uh, uh, consists of people in the 
healthcare uh, field. Mm -hmm. So the doctors, occupational therapists, uh, and uh, so they're able to better sort of assess and they go through a questionnaire and be able to determine what it is that the child or, or what are the things the child is dealing with mm -hmm. and the challenges. And then we use that as a launching pad for getting them engaged. Um, so that sort of helps us define the disability element. But if anything's, anyone is going through a challenge, mm -hmm. uh, visible, non-visible, I think the best thing is to reach out and explore it. Right, right. And then, and, and like you said, there is a stigma associated with that and with um, with acknowledging that your child may have a disability. So, you know, how does SMILE, I guess, promote um, coming toward, just speaking out and seeking support and access yeah so so there's a few ways and it's been really cool to see the evolution of that so mm -hmm. i think one uh the earliest ways that we did this was we did a lot of uh, what we call integrative events or child events mm -hmm. children events and that's an opportunity for the small families uh, to come together ends up being like a fun few hours where there's some sort of activity planned for the kids mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of volunteers there so they're taken care of uh and the parents are there uh, but at the same time, the parents don't have to be like, super actively engaged with their child mm -hmm. because we do have a structure of programming, whether it's arts and crafts or we'll have a clown come in or we'll have uh, one of our most popular things for these events is um, we get um, uh, like a, a pet keeper to come in with their pets. Okay. So there'll be like different cool like armadillos and uh, they've been known to have some snakes. But if you don't like snakes, you can step away. I step away at that <laughs> Um, but, but all those things. So what that does is two things. One, it lets the children and the siblings who actually might not, uh, be dealing with disabilities okay. all interact in the same room. So you're not separating the disabled children from the non-disabled children. Yeah. Right. So a big part of uh, our mandate and in the disability community is inclusivity. Right. Right. Keep everyone engaged together learn to work with each other and play with each other. Right. Um, it also, at the same time, acts as a way for the parents to connect with other parents. Right. Um, and that's something that initially, that wasn't our intention, but what we realized is, uh, and this came back to us from a lot of parents' feedback, is they would, be, they would be like, oh my God, I'm so glad I got to meet this XXX person because my child is only three, but their child is 10, and they've been dealing with this for seven years, and mm -hmm. the insight that they're able to provide me makes me much more comfortable that I'll be able to kind of navigate this whole uh, this whole kind of experience with my child. Right, right. Uh, so so those those have been great learnings for us uh, and just for the organization in terms of bringing everyone together, inclusivity. Mm -hmm. uh, so one is doing events, and the second one, to your point, is advocacy. Mm -hmm. uh, so just creating awareness. So this ranges from everything like doing, uh, we do awareness seminars for uh, schools, uh, for universities, like classes, we'll go in, we'll do a, kind of a breakdown of uh, what it is that disability is all about. Um, how do you deal with that? Because if it's not someone in the room, then it's someone they know. Yeah. Or, or it's just a better awareness and education so people are more respectful. Yeah. Um, so, so those are the two main ways that we've been sort of advocacy and then doing events where we create this connection between people. Amazing. And I think one of, I mean, we'll get on this, but one of the stigmas I personally have encountered or um internally and externally is that we limit um folks with challenges for what they can do do you know what I mean and so what I mean you were just talking about how you guys have games nights and other events so have you 
Um, how do you plan those events in terms of making sure it is accessible and inclusive whilst also not limiting what folks with disabilities and challenges can do? Um, and has that, that awareness evolved over time? Yeah, so I think, and, and go, even going back to absolutely what you said, and like the whole normalization aspect of it, mm-hmm. how not making it feel like it's a disability event, Yeah, just making it feel like it's a fun evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing that, uh, a couple of things that are really, really popular are we do uh, bowling nights. Um, so we all go bowling, and it's uh, it's like kids, obviously those who are with disabilities, and like sometimes their siblings, some of our volunteers there, mm-hmm. and it's just everyone's just there having a good time. Yeah, um, which is what the whole point is, because sometimes that uh, inclusive engagement doesn't happen as regularly, right. just the way uh, things are structured. So that's a big way. Uh, and then we do youth movie nights, mm-hmm. so the youth will go out um, and uh, and kind of watch a movie. Um, the one way we kind of make sure that uh, we try to promote the best possible environment to mm-hmm. help them just have a good time yeah. is. We have, and I can't speak enough about them, an incredible roster of volunteers and team leads and people who are super passionate uh, from different programs. Yeah. Um, and they go out. And so if you have enough of them around, um, you're able to give more one-on-one time to the kids or just be kind of engaged with them. Right. Um, so obviously, just, just form a relationship. Um, and uh, so that's that's how we sort of facilitate that, that environment. That's amazing. Um, I, I think I was going to ask this question a bit later on, but I think I'm going to ask it now just in terms of moving forward with the conversation and, um, again, being respe- respectful of the um, vernacular, I guess, around um, uh, folks with disability or challenges. Uh, first of all, am I am I saying it correct? Like, am, is, is saying disabilities or folks with disabilities, is that a term that's been reclaimed or... Did it need so, reclaiming? No, no, no. So, so you're absolutely right. I think it goes both ways, right? Yeah. So it's also my role, just to kind of, uh, there's a story behind it. It's mm-hmm. uh, I'm one of the co-marketing and communications lead, right? Yeah. So a big part of my job is what kind of copy and what kind of words are we putting out there? Yeah. <laughs> so it's something I explore a lot. And then uh, I myself, I don't have medical training in that space. Mm-hmm. So I rely on our, uh, our healthcare professionals who are part of the team the occupational therapists, the doctors, and just people who are more engaged from an advocacy perspective as well. Right. And what comes up is, like, I still remember having this conversation, like, should we call them disabilities? Should we call them differently abled? Yeah, uh, that's the one I like. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many, so like, for the, for the, I remember for a few years, it was, like, differently abled is the word to go with. Mm-hmm. And I think from what I understand, even in the disability community, they're sort of kind of evolving and learning things, Right. Right. Now, this is the way I make peace with whatever. So I'm comfortable using both the terms now. Okay. Disability and different abilities, okay. right? Um, the way I made peace with it was because if your intentions are pure mm-hmm. and you're coming from a good space, mm-hmm. right, then both those words work. Yeah. Right? So I think your intention matters mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and how you say things matter. Right. So, um, because different ability is an absolutely properly and really good term because it's more empowering. Right. But at the same time, at no point do you want to lose the idea that disabilities are hard and they need to be acknowledged for what they are yeah. and the challenges that go around it. Mm-hmm. And you need to provide slightly different support systems and resources to them. So let's not make it a pretty word and forget about the challenges associated with it. So. Mm-hmm. It, 
disability really hits it home, at least for me. Right. Uh, right. So I think it's fine using both the terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at no point feel like you're saying something wrong. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm so cautious of it. I guess even given my background is in humanities and um, social justice, so I'm very cognizant of the fact that words have impact, whether you know our intent is not to have that certain impact. But um, I think having a conversation simultaneously is also important to um, understanding why we use the words we use and why certain words um, can still be used, I guess. And I just, alongside with that, how do we, uh, and I, I don't know where this stems from, but um, like within me I'm talking about, but how do we talk about folks with disabilities or different abilities without othering them, you know? So perpetuating like an us versus them mm-hmm. narrative. Also being cognizant of the fact that they do face challenges that are um, that are hard for them, mm-hmm. but... It, it is still, it, there is no normal, so it is still part of a normal. Yep. Does that make sense? No, that absolutely makes okay. sense. And I think the fact that you bring it up in that way is a very important question to ask and have conversations around. Okay. Um, and we try to do that because obviously we're in this space, we're talking to people, whether we're at a Muslim Fest event or at uh, like an RIS mm-hmm. convention um, and and many others. Uh, yeah. We're trying to figure that out as we go along and to see what like the the pulse of our community and the community at large says about that, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. so I think it's I think as long as people are willing to listen and come from a place of empathy mm-hmm. um, and understanding mm-hmm. and realize that once you start learning about obviously. I've had the pleasure of uh, becoming friends with a lot of the, the children mm-hmm. uh, and just being engaged with them and their parents and their families, mm-hmm. where you you learn amazing stories about the accomplishments they do and the things they've done uh, and how you can learn from their experiences yeah. and their demeanor and how they interact on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think the biggest principle that we sort of try to promote uh, within Smile just individually is... Um, our end objective is to 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 make sure that the, these children they're able to live a dignified life, right? Right, and wherever their like whatever their aspirations, their goals, their objectives are, they're trying to live a dignified life. Um, and I think that's sort of it's been lost sometimes. And I, but at the same time, I think uh, society at large, and even us within our Muslim community, we made some huge strides. We're still working on it, right? Uh, in terms of understanding and reducing the stigma around these things, mm-hmm. uh, so so I think if you come from a place of like empathy mm-hmm. um, and you focus on dignity, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think it's yeah you just try to learn yeah. and just be engaged. It goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, what are some of the biggest obstacles facing folks with uh, disabilities in Canada today? In terms of you know not having access to having a life of dignity and respect. Yeah. Um, and you know even systematically or whatever <laughs> so so definitely I think I think uh, so with us particularly with smile because we interact more with children uh, at an earlier age mm-hmm. all the way to I would say adult like maybe 16 17 18 mm-hmm. all the way from youth for us a lot of our focus ends up being from an educational standpoint okay so from a schooling perspective do the right resources for one, right? right. Um, are they getting the right kind of attention in schools? Are there programs at their specific school that uh, obviously allow uh, teachers that are trained in, 
and that can help them uh, learn better and learn in a more different way because obviously it's going to be slightly different from uh, kids in a general classroom because you need a bit more attention or different uh, sort of teaching methods yeah. for one. Uh, the second thing is uh, if someone has uh, a speech challenge mm-hmm. and they're trying to work through that, then do they have access to the right resources mm-hmm. um, and the people that can help them improve that aspect of their life, uh, right? It's about mm-hmm. growth and development. Yeah. And then, obviously, to make all of this work, we all know there's funding. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the pain of our existence, yes. <laughs> so so that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, but I've always felt that if people feel strongly about something and uh, if they see the value and the importance of it and if they connect with the people and the stories, mm-hmm. uh, then they will find a way to, uh, to create funding around it, mm-hmm. whether it's from a government perspective, mm-hmm. like the government coming top down, yeah. or from a grassroots where people are supporting the causes. And like I'm not going to say it's perfect, obviously, we all know that, yeah. but I will say that the progress has been good. Mm-hmm. And I think people are doing more and more, and we're, people are trying. But yeah. there's still a lot, a lot that needs to be done. Yeah, and there's no such thing as perfection, anyway. So. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> and, and yeah. then even to touch touch on this, obviously, yeah. like I was mentioning, so the small children up until youth and adulthood, but then even beyond that, mm-hmm. because obviously a few of our kids uh, are are growing. Uh, we've been up for ten years, so someone was eleven is twenty one now. Right. Right. Um, is for them is after high school. What kind of education can they pursue? What kind of trade? What kind of learning can they do to yeah. have, um, uh, to have like a good job that they can be happy and consistent uh, uh, with, right? Right. They can enjoy the job or their role in their environment. Right. And then even to be, uh, you actually earlier educated me about this concept of agency. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so that element that that's a core part of we're all always have discussions around and then hopefully do programs and services around is how can we ensure that uh that they have agency mm-hmm. did i use that term correctly by you the way? did you did okay. fantastic i love it <laughs> yeah it is true it <clears throat> um and so i i, so, I didn't even so, ask so, this so, so, sorry to kind of jump in but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually very interested in your perspective because you do have background in the space mm-hmm. uh in terms of obviously what you see as an observer and someone who obviously has background in this space about how to do it, what are some of the challenges and so forth? Um, I, I don't, I see So I have a general, um, uh, background in activism culture. So not necessarily in terms of the space of disabilities. And I think this is one thing that, um, actually if I if in retrospect with my engage in my with my engagement with my education are the things we were learning it was always like disability was something to acknowledge but not actually act on or um yeah so it was just like oh yeah you know we gotta think about race class ageism um sex whatever sexuality uh and disability and then we just never touched on disability. And it was just something that was like, I don't know, did people feel good for bringing up disability, but then not actually engaging in the conversations around it or um, learning what disability activism looks like and what supports that, you know, the university could be doing or what organizations could be doing. Like when I think about, you know, I have a friend who, um, she's an older woman, she's 
I'm not going to age her, but she's older, right? <laughs> um, and so, but she, um, she can't speak, right? And so I, I mean, we have conversations and either it'll be like us texting each other or we kind of, I'll fumble my way through sign, uh, a, a, a warped version of my sign language. Um, you know, but I think it's, it's engaging with folks who do have disabilities just to see how normal they are as well as gain empathy for them. And that kind of um, allows you to see what obstacles and challenges they face. Because, I mean, for example, when I'm in mosque, she comes every day to mosque, right? Comes every time. She can't hear what the lecturer is saying or the, the duas and the suras that are being recited. Right. But she comes. Like, I have, you know, I know people that have all the all the privileges of, you know, being able to hear and speak and they don't even come and to hear and speak what's happening in the mosque. And she does. And I just, I, you know, I, I think I can be more proactive and I haven't been, but I don't know necessarily where to start in terms of making sure that we have sign language available in our mosque so that, you know, she has uh, support in, in her faith but also that others there then become aware that this is something that our mosque provides. I think Toronto Mosque Bathurst, I think it is, yep. they now do um, sign language and they also write out what's um, being narrated by the, by the scholar so that yep. if anyone's listening in from a laptop, they can actually see what's being said. They summarize the um, conversation. So things like that I think is important. So yeah, again, I mean, in ter- I don't, I don't have too much. Um, so I think that's just to kind of segue off your story. I mm-hmm. think it's really interesting that you said that mm-hmm. about uh, your friend who goes to the mosque, mm-hmm. um, and obviously uh, she's not able to understand the khutbah because that's the challenges that a lot of uh, the families that we came across with. Where it's like, I take my kid who's like a teen now, mm-hmm. or maybe like a preteen, to the mosque, and they can't even appreciate this religion that I want to share the experience with, right? right. Which is beautiful. Right. Yeah. So. And and I think. Honest, sorry. No, no, I was going to, so to that point, um, a lot of respect to the Joffrey Mosque, yeah. because they reached out to us and they said, hey, listen, we want to make a more inclusive uh, uh, place of worship and community engagement. How do we do that? So mm-hmm. our team got in touch with them, and one of the, the quick things was for uh, some of their programming over the past few months, mm-hmm. they uh, got uh, ASL interpreters, so American Sign Language inter- mm-hmm. interpreters, to come in and do sign language. So the families and the kids and people who can't uh, obviously uh, listen uh, well uh, can understand the beauty of the what's being said and learn from it. Wow! Right? Yeah. Which should be a standard. And, and the other thing, like I have seen, actually seen a few other mosques that have closed captioned mm-hmm. the scholars, so like mm-hmm. they project the the khutbah simultaneously and they closed captioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's something that. It's really interesting how people are beginning to do more and more of that. So one of our programs, just to kind of, is, is exactly that. How can we engage with public spaces mm-hmm. that are in our community that our families or generally the, the Muslim community engages with, which is the mosque, which is our center. Right. Um, and how can we make it more accessible? Uh, not just from building ramps, that's a very important part, mm-hmm. but also from the engagement of the content. 
Right. So something like sign language or closed captioning comes into play. Yeah. Uh, so so elements of that. Um, yeah. And also, for example, being respectful of uh, if there's a child with autism, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to have slightly different needs. They're going to be a bit more antsy maybe. Yeah. Uh, right? It's like the schedule's a bit hard. So like once you educate people in the mosque about autism, some people don't understand. They just think it's a parent not taking care of their child. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a, that's a gut reaction that comes up. Right. Why do they bring their kids to the mosque when they're so loud? Like, you hear all these things that yeah, happen. It's yeah. a fact. We have technology, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if someone came up in the beginning and be like, hey, listen, autism is a thing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's something that happens. Just be respectful. Mm-hmm. I generally believe that our community and all communities in general have that patience that they'll acknowledge and be like, you know what? It's fine. It's, it's, it's part of just the way things are. So be respectful. Mm-hmm. So I think education becomes a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And two things with that. I think um, one is I, when we speak about accessibility, I think we've come to the point where um, we limit ourselves in terms of how we can be accessible. You know, when I ask folks in different organizations, you know, how how are you accessible for with your services? It's typically like the first thing they'll just tell me is, Oh, we have wheelchair access, which is great. I'm not, you know, denouncing the fact that that is great. But, again, we limit ourselves with what we know to be accessible and how to be accessible. So I'm so appreciative of the fact that Smile uh, reaches out and also is a place for um, community organizations to reach out to and provide these supports and services and really teach people. Like you said, it's education. Another thing that, I mean, now reflecting on one of the things that, you know, in my studies is we don't put the, it, you shouldn't put the onus on that minority community to educate you and to always be um, telling you and teaching you how to do things. You also have to take that onus onto yourselves. Um, So is that, how does Smile navigate that? Because you know, I, you know, as a Muslim or a Muslim woman, person of color, whatever, I'm really open to people asking me questions. However, yeah, there are days where I'm like, piss off, frankly, like I just, I don't want to answer the same question today over and over again. And, you know, how do you, again, make sure that folks with disabilities have the agency that they themselves um, are part of reclaiming and shaping the narrative around disabilities mm-hmm. as as well as smile being able to do so but at the same time showing others that you know you can also learn these things and take the onus onto yourselves if that's a thing that you know is yeah, no, so i think some of the ways is we've been fortunate to have um like one person in particular is dr ashley malloy Mm-hmm. Uh, who might not mean a lot to people listening to the podcast because he's not a household name. Yeah. But in the disability community, he's a rock star. Okay. Right? Um, and I don't know the whole story of how, but he is very fond of our founder, Sakina, as okay. I mentioned, because yeah. they're working in the same space, and I think he was I think he was a teacher of hers or in some way engaged. Mm-hmm. So he's been the biggest advocate of smile. Okay. Uh, and he's someone who's like, a part of like UN panels for disabilities and oh, so wow. on and so forth. So he's, he's definitely big in the space and having that voice and that support gives us better access to how to do things better mm-hmm. and how to keep going. Mm-hmm. Now to your second point, it's like, so obviously people like Dr. Ashley Malloy, we also have a lot of medical health professionals that are part of 
our team yeah. that do engage with people from the disability community mm-hmm. as part of their work experience. Okay. Right, so speech pathologists, occupational therapists, people working in that space. Mm-hmm. So they're able to better navigate uh, because that's what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. They understand that really well. So having that domain expertise yeah. really helps us uh, approach and create better awareness or how to do it even better to educate the community at large, right, mm-hmm. as you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. That's a big part. Then another important step is we're always open to ideas from people who are coming in with like a different perspective. But most of our, uh, the people that engage with it, they're children. Mm-hmm. So they're not as, they're still kind of going through the process, but their parents are someone who can give us a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. So as part of our team, the parent team, uh, they communicate very extensively with, with obviously particular team leads yeah. uh, that are in that space. So they're able to tell us, oh, this new legislation that's come up, it's going to really affect my child this way, for example. Because mm-hmm. it's not going to be in our spectrum, but for them it's very important. Right. Uh, so then we become a bit more aware of it, and sometimes we're able to do something about it. Or this regulation is really going to help or not going to help. Um, so we take that feedback and, take, uh, and, and we make sure they're involved in conversations around it. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that's taking place is next weekend we have our AGM, which is our annual general meeting, mm-hmm. and it's open to everyone. Um, and the details can be found on the website, so if you want to come, just feel free. Okay. Um, and for that, we try to bring in as many people as possible and just kind of do a, 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 get a perspective of what it is that, that's required mm-hmm. uh, as we plan our programs for the next six months to a year. Uh, so I think constant communication, like you said, right? Yeah. yeah. With different peoples. Um, and the thing is, like, particularly, like, I can speak about the parents because I've talked to a lot of parents. Right. They're at Smile. Uh, one, they obviously want uh, a better life for the child, just like any parent. Yeah. But they sometimes have more, not sometimes, in most cases, have more challenges because of the way things are with mm-hmm. disabilities. Uh, so if you sit down and talk to them, there's a lot you can learn. Yeah. So just it's about listening, yeah. um, seeing what they have to offer, and seeing how we can leverage our resources and our expertise um, and help improve. Yeah. And this is a random question, maybe, but just going off what you said, is there? Um, I, I don't. How do? I don't. I don't know if you've had these conversations, but how do you guys, as an organization or families um, with children with disabilities, how do they engage with self care then? Around because if you know. I completely uh, love the idea of having conversations with um, the parents and everything, but at the same time, uh, does it become exhausting or even just, you know, dealing with the day-to-day challenges of living with children with disabilities? Um, What does self-care look like, I guess? So you're talking about, like, the the team at large? Uh, Team at large, and if you have any stories or understanding of what, uh, you know, parents also do yeah so so from a parent's perspective for the team at large obviously so our team uh well uh smile is mm-hmm. predominantly uh, a volunteer run organization mm-hmm. uh at the same time we do have a couple of paid positions uh who are so needed and the moment we got them it's like we leveled up yeah. in terms of our achievement yeah. because there was structure and there was one person holding everyone accountable okay. so I will give a huge shout out to Anissa mm-hmm. uh, who is basically our programs coordinator uh-huh. um, and and she wears like every hat uh, and she's amazing yeah. so uh, someone like that really helps um, yeah. thank you Anissa 
Yeah. 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 And he's amazing. Yeah. So, but going back to um, the parents. Mm-hmm. So you know what it is a lot of times for the parents, there's a couple of things. Uh, so I was mentioning the children's event to you earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Where the parents come out and the kids come out. Mm-hmm. And it's about like maybe a three to four hour event okay. that's like structured. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's a, it's one of those things where the parents come and drop the kids and it's babysitting and they walk away, right? Right. It's not that. They're around, they're watching, mm-hmm. but just those three, four hours that they get where they have to be slightly hands off mm. is huge for them. Really? Because, and I can totally understand. Yeah. Even with, I, I am someone who does not have children, mm-hmm. but I have nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. And even engaging with them for a couple hours when they're young, <laughs> yeah. they're very energetic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the best part about me is because I'm an uncle, I get to toss them off to the yep. parents at some stage, right? So I'm good with that. Yeah. But, and so, so you just imagine that, but with someone with disabilities, their needs are 10x, if not 100x, right, in some mm-hmm. cases. Um, so... With that, just to be hands off, see that their child's having a great time, they're engaged with people, yeah. um, so they bring a smile to their face, they get to sit back and they get to share stories with other parents and just like talk yeah. and just maybe sometimes just sit there with a coffee and just sit there oh, wow. and they're happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think that care, but I, but I definitely, I think it's very challenging. It's a lot of work. Like really? kids, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. so let alone... Uh, trying to manage all these other things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I'm I'm happy to hear that. That's um, they can engage with that through smile, I guess. And I will Absolutely. never take having a cup of coffee for granted again. <laughs> um, so I guess um, you know you mentioned parents also being really engaging with the process that smile um, or the processes that smile has, and one of them you mentioned was legislation. So mm-hmm. what kind of legislation, I, I don't, are you aware of the legislation, I guess, that affects um, folks with disabilities here in Canada? And, um, you know, if there is um, activism towards that or in trying to make sure that it's the best type of legislation, I guess? Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting question for us, too, especially at the stage we're at. So as I was mentioning over the past decade, um, our focus predominantly has been programs and events, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's a, a children's event or other things of that nature, it's been more doing stuff mm-hmm. to get people engaged. But what we realize is uh, we have to have a, a two-pronged approach, right? A top-down mm-hmm. and a bottom-up. So the bottom-up part we're working on, the top-down, which is everything from the advocacy, legislation, and things of that nature, mm-hmm. uh, that's also really valuable. So I think we've turned our focus more towards that as well mm-hmm. as we've grown. Um, so some of the ways that we try to do that, and it's a work in progress for us, right, is we started doing these community lecture series for one, mm-hmm. which is um, at a specific venue, we'll do a community lecture series where we'll talk to parents about these challenges, like a town hall of sorts. There'll be a topic, but then we sort of get engagement and uh, sort of understand. Now, with the legislation, that's something that's very new for us. It's not something that we're actively, I can say that, yes, we did this, this, this. But it's something that Smiles organization realizes that there's value in being engaged in that process, mm-hmm. right? Or being at the table where all these decisions happen. Mm-hmm. Because we bring a very unique perspective, even within the disability community, yeah. right? So 
there's general disability and all that stuff that, that they go through. But how many people have representation from minority communities? What yeah. are their challenges? Yeah. What are they dealing with? Yeah. So having a seat at that table, which is something that we're working towards right now, yeah. um, is, is very important to us. And, and I'm hoping, inshallah, over the next year, uh, we're able to make some serious inroads um, to, to be at that table. That's part of the decision-making process. So we're represented properly from a Muslim community perspective. Amazing. And what yeah. kind of, I mean... Um, maybe I should have asked this before, but I mean, you guys do cater to minority communities. So how does how does support look different for minority communities, and why is it important to have organizations that do um, support and give provide services to these communities, as opposed to them um, going to you know predominantly white organizations or something? <laughs> No, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that's yeah. a fair question to ask, right? Like, yeah. why is it that the family needs a smile yeah. when they can just go to, for example, a dancing association of Toronto, mm-hmm. right? Why not? Why do they need a smile? What's the need? Mm-hmm. It's a comfort factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was mentioning earlier, since there's so much stigma attached, mm-hmm. it's hard sometimes for other organizations to completely understand the, the cultural uh, experiences mm-hmm. um, and the cultural challenges that come with something like this, mm-hmm. where sometimes you have to educate people that you know what, this is, it's not something to be blamed for, just the way uh, the thought process is, right? Yeah. It just is, so you have to kind of work with it and be more of a problem-solving and positive outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, and the language helps, right? So, for example, it's easy, like I've, I've been on a few assessments, the yeah. initial kind of interaction that we do with families. Um, so I was there as like obviously a secondary person while the, uh, the more professional individual mm-hmm. in the group was doing the assessments. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, a Pakistani family, mm-hmm. um, for example, and I speak Urdu. So just me being around, chatting with them, yeah. coming from a place of empathy, yeah. um, and speaking Urdu just made them so much more comfortable. Right. Right. So like the language element helps, whether it's someone that speaks Arabic. And actually, mm-hmm. that's that also reminds me. So one of the big things that we're doing is, obviously, um, we've been blessed to live in a country that made a very serious push uh, to make sure Syrian refugees uh, got uh, proper obviously shelter and things of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. We're able to start a new life over here. Yeah. But think about it. Their families coming in, a certain percentage of them are going to have kids with disabilities. Yeah. It's, it's just a numbers game. Mm-hmm. So we've been working with a few Syrian families to help them integrate better. Okay. Because they're coming in, as it is, it's very hard for them to navigate this space, yeah. right? Yeah. Imagine on top of that, you have a child or a couple of children or a few children yeah. who have disabilities. Like, what do you do? You're absolutely lost. Yeah. So then our job becomes how can we help them? Obviously, mm-hmm. we're blessed to have people that speak Arabic, for example. Yeah. Uh, so they help them navigate the resources in the community and the government. For a lot of times, what ends up happening is even – so there's resources out there, mm-hmm. but people don't know about them because yeah. they don't know where to look. Yeah. Or if they know where to look, there's paperwork involved, and it's hard for them to go through that. Yeah. Right? Like, what do I write? What do I not write? Maybe it's uh, – they don't know English that well. Mm-hmm. So our team and members of our team are able to help them on those things as well. That becomes a huge thing. Mm-hmm. So going back to your idea of why there's a need of something a bit more, uh, obviously, catered to the minority community, the Muslim community, mm-hmm. is because we understand the needs better because we have similar experiences. Right. Um, so I feel like you can do both. Like We have families that are part of SMIC and also part of DSAT, the Johnson yeah. Association of Toronto, yeah. and they're part of other groups, right? Yeah. So it doesn't hurt, but... It's nice to have a group that you can connect with that has similar shared experiences. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I've done work in um, sexual violence and working in um, 
how to make uh, organizations less Islamophobic or um, just be a bit more understanding of the nuances of the cultures that they may face. And it's always nice to see when there are spaces that um, understand that there are differences and that the ways that, you know, an organization frames their understanding of sexual violence and then and how to um, cater to, you know, a person's feelings around that is different based on the different cultures and et cetera. And it does. It just provides a feeling of like, oh, I don't have to explain things they get it right like it's just it's it's less of a burden i feel um and you can get to you know actually providing effective supports i guess that's actually a really good way to put it like Hmm. the fact that it's one less thing to have to explain to people yeah right or a few less things to have to explain to people because they get it Yeah. yeah precisely um and so what what kind of stigmas are there within, you know, Muslim communities um, right now surrounding uh, folks with disabilities? And then how do you guys empower families to see that it's not a curse from Allah, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or it's not the daughter-in-law's fault that the child yeah. has is born with a disability. So what does, how do you guys navigate that culture? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a very important question, mm-hmm. particularly in our community. So, um, in terms of stigma, I, I think people still don't, people are still ashamed sometimes mm. uh, that their child is dealing with stuff, um, and particularly as it's like sometimes not visible. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, I can tell a story of a child, without giving any names obviously, mm-hmm. who the way they would, uh, so this was someone obviously was on the, the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and the way they would, uh, that this child who was like four or five, maybe at that stage five, I think, going to school. Okay. They wouldn't play with kids directly, but they would play with them at a distance, right? So from what I've been led to understand, it's called like shadow playing. Okay. It's like you don't engage with them directly. You still want to play with those kids, but for obviously different reasons, Mm -hmm. uh, the child wouldn't engage with them. But it would be like 10 feet away, but still playing similar things to them. Right. Right. Uh, As as a child, that can pass, but like with time, it's going to become more and more of a challenge, right? So how do you work with things like that? Right. so, so going back, it's in terms of stigma, people are just ashamed of it. And I think people are ashamed because they don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. They're just not educated. Um, a lot of the families that come in are immigrants, and it's hard enough trying to build a life here right. and start a life. And uh, obviously, there's like a whole family to consider. Uh, sometimes they don't have the time and the resources yeah. um, and the understanding. Yeah. So, so that becomes a big, big task for us. Like, can we create a space where a family can come in and not by sitting them in a classroom and giving them a workshop do we teach them, right? Yeah. That's not going to lead anywhere. Yeah. But the moment their kid is engaged, they're playing, they see there's 10 other kids, 15, 20 other kids, their parents are there. Um, and like I was mentioning earlier, some parents are much more further along and have a better understanding and they're still engaged with the organization. Mm-hmm. They're able to educate them better. If I'm a new immigrant coming into the country, right, from, let's say, from a South Asian country. Yeah. And I'm trying to navigate this. I have a child with a disability. I bring him to an event, and I run into someone else who's 15 years older than me, but of a similar kind of ethnic background. Yeah. And they talk about their experiences. Oh, yeah, I remember when my child was three and he was going through this, right? That's how we did it. Yeah. Oh, okay, so that's, it happens to other people. Yeah. Right? And that's like a big opening and revelation. Like, it happens. Yeah. It's, it's not an... Like, it's hard, it's challenging, but it's 
people have dealt with it and people right. are dealing with them they've dealt with it well right so you get that community you get that support system to come in um and that mm-hmm. really helps end that stigma mm-hmm. um or, or that hesitation that the initial family might have mm-hmm. about engaging with family. So mm-hmm. the first few years, they might be very super involved with SMILE, but then with time, as they get explored, they start exploring new things and organizations and groups. Yeah. So it becomes uh, a launch pad right. for, the, for them to obviously build a structure and a program to, to allow their kid to live with dignity right. as, as they grow older. Yeah. Right. And I, yeah, and I guess the more visible and normalized it becomes to see... Um, minority voices or um and folk voices of folks with disabilities and success stories etc the more likely people are going to be to reach out and see that it is yeah normal right it's just like a domino effect i guess no absolutely and i, I think like sort of a related <laughs> conversation like i was watching tv the other day mm-hmm. uh, and with the olympics coming up soon right mm-hmm. so obviously all these corporate organizations have ads around them mm-hmm. but i think they're really good because they're really focusing on Special Olympics. On Special Olympics. Mm. Um, so I saw this really cool ad. I believe it was by either Petro or Canadian Tire, mm-hmm. where they're showing like a dad. So obviously, uh, uh, ice hockey in Special Olympics is a bit different, right? right. So they have like these little sled type skates, and then they use sticks, like two sticks, to kind of play. Right. It's very cool. So they show like they show this like dad struggling with it, right? And then mm. you don't know what's going on. Like why is an able-bodied person yeah. on this, thing, right? Yeah. And then like. 30 seconds later, you see him lifting his son and bringing him on to the ice ah. uh, so that he doesn't lose that experience of playing ice hockey, which is as Canadian as Tim Hortons. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But uh, so it, it's really cool because it's becoming part of the general narrative. Like I saw more of those ads and stories so far in terms of promoting the Olympics than I did see of like other stories, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. Cool. So I think from a general place yeah. too, as a yeah. community, yeah. we the more voices, the more faces there are out there, the better it is. Yeah, for sure. And, and you never know who it could impact, I guess. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you've, you know, we've talked a lot, you've talked a lot about parents and their role in it. How are parents recognized for their positive efforts in really engaging with the, the dignity and the respect that their child deserves? You know, are they, is there, you know... outstanding achievement awards kind of thing or whatever or you know so I I won't say particularly that the parents are uh, acknowledged in a a really big way Mm -hmm. uh, in that respect and I think like just this question that you raised that makes me uh, think that they should be Mm -hmm. right so this conversation itself has led to like one question I'll be asking at the AGM next week Okay, like how are we honoring parents which is cool um but I do know, and I think it's important what you just said, like how are the parents acknowledged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so far, the way we've looked at it is they're just happy their child is getting help in areas, right? Like yeah. that's a win for them. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think you're absolutely right. I think the parents should be acknowledged more um, mm-hmm. for obviously their efforts and their contribution and what they do. Like even being a great uh, peer right. for other kids, like I was mentioning, that should be acknowledged, right? Like we have some parents that are like, so the, so the best stories that we hear is, uh, so initially when, a, when an initial family comes out to us, they'll be like connected to the other family through us. Mm-hmm. And then after some time, we'll hear stories of, oh yeah, I was chatting with that family or that mother that I met the other day. Right. So they're connecting directly with us, no involvement from us at Smile, which is yeah. the best part, right? Yeah. So it's like, we've made the connection, but like you guys took it to a whole different level. Right, exactly. 
they um, acted on but, it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you're right. I think parents should be. I think parents in general should be appreciated yeah. more. This comes from it's. It, I can't <laughs> even take credit for that. That's um, my aunt. She works in. Um, uh, I guess in the dis- she has a disability background in oh, terms of a professional experience. Yeah. So. Um, and so I'd written out my questions and I send them to her. I was like, is there anything that's like bad about this or can you add to it? And that was one of her um, questions to ask because I think she must have seen this, you know, yeah. that parents aren't necessarily um, recognized for their positive efforts and what can be done, um, which, I mean, I, I had no aware of that. So shout out to my aunt. For her. Yeah, shout out to you. Yeah. Like, I, I don't have an awareness and understanding of it up until this stage. Right. You mentioned it, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're always learning. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, we're, we've just got a couple more questions, and I'm going to have a Mythbusters thing that I want to um, get to. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask also is, well, not me, actually. This is her as well, again. <laughs> um, is there a 24-7 helpline for parents to reach out to? You know, in, if there's, you know, they have these starting thoughts that you know my child has a disability I want to know what's out there but I don't want to bring it up to family members you know because of whatever repercussions there might be or um you know there there's some there hadn't some their child had an episode I don't know if that's the right word no, to that's, use. Fair. that's fair okay yeah. um child had an episode really needs some support on how to handle this so is there a 24-7 helpline or so with respect to 24-7 hotline mm-hmm. short answer no there isn't okay uh not yet mm-hmm. um that being said uh i'm gonna put my medical disclaimer here yes yeah. emergencies um contact obviously the proper health services right uh depending on what they are yeah. however what we end up doing is maybe once they engage with us mm-hmm. so the first the best thing you can do is like send us an email at our info account, right? So on our website, it's there. So it's info at smilecanada. Sorry, info at smilecan.org. Okay. Uh, and it's on our website as well. Okay. Um, so, and then we get back to you within the day. Like okay. our, our support team is very good. Okay. In terms of getting, like, at least do the first intro connect. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's very important, very, very important for anyone listening, mm-hmm. either for themselves or someone else they recommend them to, mm-hmm. all conversations are extremely confidential. Brilliant. Um, because one, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, the team conducting that is works in that space, so they get the value of privacy and confidentiality, yeah. uh, and respecting someone's thing. So it's extremely confidential. If I'm not involved in a case, I don't know nothing about it because it's it's got nothing to do with me, right? Right. Even as someone is part of the team, it's right. whoever's handling it. So it's done very professionally. Mm-hmm. That, that was a big, big, big thing for us. Yeah. Um, but so I would say email is the best way but if there's some sort of medical related stuff definitely contact the authorities mm-hmm. but and the way I see um, one of the roles that Smile has is to be a resource right mm-hmm. so you can definitely reach out and then there's like a, a bunch of resources that uh, our support team will share with you at mm-hmm. that point uh, that talks about in case of emergency contact here or here's this 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 organization that you contact that are provided by the government right mm-hmm. so just, just go based on that yeah, yeah. perfect um, and how, I guess this is kind of unrelated now, but, um, moving on, I guess how, you know, you mentioned the Jaffrey center has become more accessible. So how do you work with Islamic schools or centers, organizations to become accessible? And just what, you know, if, if, uh, folks don't have access to smile right now, what can they do within their, um, communities to make 
their organizations more accessible? What are some tips that you can give us? Yeah, so definitely. So to, to the first part of the question, uh, how do we work with Islamic institutions and organizations? That's been a big focus for us over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Jaffrey Mosque was one example. But at the same time, we've gone into schools and done seminars and workshops uh, for even kids at a younger age, mm-hmm. right? Like make them more aware of what's going on yeah. uh, or, or how to work with it because tomorrow or even if today they might have a peer yeah. uh, who faces similar challenges. So this education is really important. Mm-hmm. So we do seminars and lectures and things of that nature in an engaging way. Okay. Um, once again, our, our our team of volunteers who does this stuff are like absolute rock stars. Yeah. They're so amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one. And then your second part was about tips, right? For someone yeah. to, uh, you know what? We're also learning as we go along, yeah. to be honest with you. So I would just say, like, reach out to us. If you got a question, like, reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Send us an email at our info account. Yeah. And be like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, or this is what I was thinking. Yeah. And you'd be surprised what kind of feedback we get. At the same time, one of the things we're working on is putting together a bunch of uh, resources and content, particularly around what you just said. Okay. To help other uh, uh, other individuals get uh, create more awareness and uh, limitations uh, around limitations faced by people with disabilities. Mm. Um, so that should be obviously. Uh, up there in a few in a few months, hopefully. Oh, lovely. Just really? the process of it. Yeah. yeah. So, so things of that nature are important to us. Uh, but reach out um, and, and sort of get engaged because sometimes we're able to even connect you with another organization that might be in your community mm-hmm. that might be valuable, right? Right. Uh, that maybe as a chapter, it definitely won't be smile at this stage, maybe. Yeah. But it might be someone else, and you can still learn from and engage with them. So. Yeah, and the smile. Um you guys have you're now in the GTA, but if somebody wanted to start a chapter somebody else somewhere else, is that an option, or you guys are still figuring out what the process would look like for that? We're figuring it out, but the one thing I will say, I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay. Uh, so, so if you're in a, another community, because uh, we've had people from Edmonton reach out to us, and Vancouver, and Ottawa, mm. and Montreal, yeah, right? like big cities and even smaller cities, right? Uh, if you're someone who feels like your community could benefit from this and it's personal to you, obviously that's why you're reaching out to us in right. some capacity. Like, connect with us because you'd be surprised. Like, you might have an idea but someone else from your city or two other people from your city have the same thing and then we just connect the three of you right. and then we kind of work with you, right? Mm. So it's definitely something we're figuring out. But I think I think my one big ask is you have a question, you have an idea, you have mm-hmm. a suggestion, you have a comment, mm-hmm. reach out to us. Brilliant. Um, and then we'll try to see quick to respond and uh, we'll, we'll get moving on that. Oh, amazing. Hopefully that, um, yeah, goes somewhere and makes impact, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know what's interesting you said that, like, I just little thought an idea. One of the yeah. big focuses for this year is to actually get, so right now, we don't have a physical space for oh. SMILE programs, right? Okay. There's no actual SMILE building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really, really high on our list right. of things to do, obviously. It requires a bit of capital investment, and that's something we're working towards. Mm-hmm. It's a long-term project for us. But it's really important because a lot of our programming happens at different sites. Uh, we try to make it as accessible to people as possible. Right. But it's a bit challenging, right? But yeah. having a resource center or space is just, it can accelerate uh, a lot of the programs and what we're trying to do uh, mm-hmm. at a different level. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just kind of putting it out there. Yeah, <laughs> if anyone has space or wants to invest, yeah. um, contact it's, just, it's, it's interesting. It's like, or you have ideas, right? You never yeah. know what ideas come from. Oh, you can do it this way. Yeah. Um, that's that's a big, big focus for yeah. us. So if people have insight or ideas, uh, you know what? Shoot us an email. Yeah. If you want to be the change you wish to see in the world, go for it. 
There you go. Be, I, I feel like I must use this ch- uh, quote like every episode. I swear. <laughs> That's like the recurring theme for all your episodes. Yeah. <laughs> that should just be my like elevator pitch. What a yeah. the change. Yeah. How, how can I have a conversation and so I can use this as a Yeah. <laughs> no agenda whatsoever. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Um, so how do you guys measure success then? I mean, you have you have goals that you want to reach, obviously, like gaining uh, space. But how do you measure success, uh, I mean, other than that as well as that, I guess? Yeah, so as we become more, more formal, mm-hmm. we become a lot more structured in our goals for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's like, you know, let's take a look at this past year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as an example, as a review, um, we had an operating budget of, uh, I believe it was around like 75K, 75,000. Right. Um, so we were blessed that uh, in combination with our gala, which is something that we host every year, mm-hmm. uh, our 10th anniversary is coming up, uh, and obviously uh, support from the community and funding and, uh, and grants for different programs, we're able to uh, achieve that operating budget. But as the need increases, because more and more people find out about it, so where we might have been at like 80 families this year, I think by end of next year might be a different projection, definitely higher, right? Because no one's really going away, but more people are coming in, which is great. Mm -hmm. So the operating budget has to exceed and things of that nature. So a lot of our goals right now is very simple in terms of how can we continue providing the resources and then we have larger goals on top of that, Mm -hmm. which is like, the long-term goal is getting a resource space of that nature. Yeah. Um, so I think in terms of measuring success, um, it is it's an evolutionary process, to be very honest and fair with you. Yeah. I think it's about how many families are engaged with us. Like, that's a metric to track. But then even what kind of impact we're creating on them, right? So yeah. um, I just kind of very quickly list. It's not just like events and assessments and all that stuff that we do in the workshops. Uh, a big, big chunk of our the revenue we generate right. goes to scholarships. Now, what are scholarships? What do they look like? Mm-hmm. Um, most scholarships run in the vicinity of like 500 to 1,000. Mm-hmm. And that's not just like a check we give 500,000. It's for a service. So if someone needs like a uh, speech therapy and it costs them like a certain program with a speech therapist costs them 600 bucks, yeah. then obviously it goes through an approval process. Once approved, they get their speech therapy and then we reimburse that, right? So it's going towards services instead of just like a blank check or a check being written. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. So scholarships is a big chunk of where the revenue gets. Because we always get asked this question, and I know I will get asked this question in about three months when yeah. we have our gala. Yeah. When people like, oh, okay, I'm donating money. Like, yeah. where's it going? Yeah. Which is a completely fair question. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it's obviously to run events and programs because there's a bit of uh, cost associated with mm-hmm. that. Um, and obviously, it may cost a little bit. We try to keep it as a minimal. Like I was saying, predominantly volunteer run, right. like all the expertise. Um, but on top of that, um, just scholarships is a big uh, chunk of where the revenue goes in. Amazing! Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And and uh, any success stories from the scholarships that you can share with us? Uh, yeah, just like regular success stories. Yeah. Uh, like it's just getting the right resources where they otherwise. It's always hard to quantify. Mm-hmm. Like. For example, like someone got speech therapy, right? It's like right. if they hadn't got gotten it, what would their life have looked like, right? Right. But I can tell you, the moment they get it and they yeah. go through the program and their parents are happy with it, yeah. Like that to me is a success story, right? That to us is a success story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so things like that, like the more stories we hear from parents, like yeah, that really helped. Um, and even just the way, like, so our our gala little side, obviously picture. 
our gala is coming up on April 29th. Yeah. We do it every year, and it's amazing turnout because it's it's like powerful to have all those people, and like this is about 800 people plus in the room. Wow. Right. Yeah. It, it's become a big thing. It's a yeah. production now. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, so it's really cool because a lot of times during the year, like you run into families, but you're always busy doing events. But at the gala, we get to really kind of engage with, be like, hey, how's it going? And like the parents and the kids and yeah. so on and so forth. And just, like, I'm, it just, it, it's one of those moments where parents are like, man, we really like what you guys are doing. Like, thank you so much, right? Yeah. Makes sense. And, and I'm really not trying to come across as someone who's like tooting their own horn. But like, I think credit goes to like, the organization, the volunteers, the people that are super engaged, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people on a day-to-day basis, like, doing stuff. And there's so many names that obviously can't be listed, but um, that do amazing work. Yeah. Um, so that's valuable, like, those those kind of connections, those yeah. stories. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess it must keep the fuel going as well to see. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's, 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 it's always funny because, like, think about it, right? Like, you're doing this big production event, and it's like you're drained because you're spending, like, everyone's getting together in the evenings on weekends and you're sacrificing social life and family life to yeah. put this together yeah and you're drained and the day the event happens and then you're like dressed up <laughs> but it finishes and you've seen the impact because you've seen the stories and you've met the people and you've got amazing feedback from people yeah. uh, and and most importantly you've raised some significant amount of funds <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Money is a very important element in yeah. all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's validation. Yeah. Right? And we all need uh, validation at certain critical junctures. But it just motivates you to keep going, right? Yeah. Like the reason, I can tell you, like, we get a whole bunch of new volunteers, but we also have team members that are there from year one and day one and day, like, year two. And they've been there. And I don't see anyone going anywhere anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And unfortunately, the world doesn't operate uh, or see hugs as a valid exchange of services. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, money definitely. <laughs> Again, if anyone wants to invest, <laughs> go for it. That's um, a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to move on to Mythbusters. Um, and I don't know how this is going to work, but I hope cool. it works well. But basically, I've got some myths. And I just want you to bust them, um, okay. just given what you know and what you've seen and your experience and everything. Absolutely. Perfect. So one of the myths is that folks with disabilities are inferior um, just because they have or, you know, they have a disability or they're impaired. Um, they can often be treated as second class citizens. So can mm-hmm. you bust that one for us? Uh, so yeah, that's absolutely a, a huge myth, mm-hmm. like the biggest myth, right? Right. Um, and, and I think if you really want to learn uh, about how why that's a myth, yeah. uh, just go interact with someone who uh, is facing some different, uh, is, is differently abled, okay. but the way they, they live their life and they, they move other people in terms of like their commitment and their resilience. Right. Um, and just to give you one story, how many people do you know that basically uh, carried the Olympic torch when the Olympics were held in Canada as part of that process. Right. Uh, I know one, and his name's Abbas, and he's one of the family and the children from Smile. Um, wow. So, so like, that's that's a myth right there. Yeah. Like, they're, they're so capable. Yeah. They're capable of, like, that's just one example. There's yeah. tons of other examples. Yeah. And, and I am positive and confident 
that with time, with the work of organizations like Smile, because there's a lot of us in this space, mm-hmm. this new or upcoming generation and crop of children are going to continue to bust this myth time and time again. Yeah, yeah. And given more access to services and um, space that you, you like, we as a community can provide for that to happen and can see that change. So, um, oh, that's a great story. I love that story. Um, a second one is that people pity, uh, children with disabilities or folks with disabilities, and this can tend to lead to patronizing attitudes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how can you bust that? I guess, like, how do we do it so that we're engaging on an empathetic level without, saying, oh, poor thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important at that point to, like, I think you just said it, like, empathy right mm. there. Okay. Right? That's important. Yeah. Come in from a place of empathy, be open to listening, uh, understand that this person's experiences are unique, uh, and that's what makes them different. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were all cookie cutters of each other, this yeah. world would be a very boring place. Yes. Um, that's, like, so, literally one of my favorite uh, quotes ever. <laughs> Okay, perfect. <laughs> so, so I think engage with them. Uh, so, absolutely, and then you learn a lot from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, come from a place of empathy. Be willing to and open to listening and learning. Because mm-hmm. um, to be honest, they don't need your sympathy. Like yeah. they're really not asking. Yeah, right? yeah. They're happy. They're capable. They're very positive. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's mm. it's almost empowering. Yeah, and yeah. I guess kind of tied to that is this third one. Um, And this is something, I guess, I don't know how to necessarily engage with it, but this idea of hero worship, where Mm. people consider someone with disability who lives independently or, you know, makes it or pursues something to be brave or special for overcoming a disability. How do you, I think this is a myth. At the same time, you want to be supportive um, and you can see that they've empowered themselves to do this and through their support networks mm-hmm. um, without at the same time, like, yeah, hero worshipping, I guess. You know, that's actually, like, I really like that question. Yeah. Because I think that's something we're all guilty of yeah. in some capacity, right? It's like, yeah. like, and then if you're self-aware, I know I'm not really uh, expounding on whether it's a myth or not. That's fine. <laughs> I think I'm just having a discussion around it now. But it's your but, experience, and yeah, discussion yeah. is important, so that's perfect. So, so I think it's really interesting to see that, like, the hero worship element and not to be get caught up in it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, acknowledge the successes, right, right uh, of someone else and, and and look at that. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, sometimes people do get caught up in the hero worship element yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, like, they're not looking for that. They just want the proper representation mm. uh, so they can live a life of dignity and they can continue improving and growing as people. Yeah. Just like, any, just like you and I, right? So. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I love that. Um, the next one is ignorance. So people with disabilities are often dismissed as incapable of accomplishing a task without the opportunity to display their skills. And I think one of the biggest ways we see that is in terms of hiring folks with disabilities for jobs. Um, yeah. But I'm sure, I'm sure there are others for sure. Um, so how do we um, recognize that they do have valid skills and that they just, I don't know, need to be provided the space and opportunity? Yeah, so, you know what, that's actually really interesting. That reminds me of a couple of examples. Mm. So, there's this uh, one business 
They're called Christina's Tortina Shop. So it's a cupcake shop. Um, I believe they're based out of Brampton. Oh my God! Yeah. So, yeah, so obviously yeah. we're, we're we're friends with like the the mother who started it because her daughter uh, is someone who has Down syndrome. Yeah. Uh, if I remember the story correctly, so she started it because the whole idea was how do we promote people like people, exactly what you just said, right? Like mm. people think they won't be able to do certain things or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this was an empowering way for her to show they're going to run a business. It's a successful business. Yeah. Um, I believe I don't know which year, but they were uh, every year we try to honor. Uh, someone in the community who's done something really interesting and special. So a few years ago, uh, we had the pleasure of honoring uh, them as uh, obviously the winner of the Dr. Ashley Malloy Award. Okay. Um, and this obviously someone in the community who's done so like the whole the family was basically honored. Wow. Uh, the mother, father, and like the daughter and like the siblings. So right. That's the idea. So to me, that's one example. Yeah. Um, of someone who's like they looked at it. They're not going to let it be a, a limiting mm-hmm. element. Mm-hmm. in their lives and yeah. so it's an empowering thing and now I believe the way they hire is they try to promote and hire and give active jobs to, to people who are affected by disabilities right wow. yeah um, and they're running a successful business yeah so it's like who's to say who can't yeah right, <laughs> right. so I think providing that resource providing that foundation being supportive that's the way they go about uh, busting that myth brilliant and I will hopefully highlight um, that bakery in future you know, yeah. stuff, but that's amazing. Yeah, I totally and, and forgot. Like, their stuff is really good. Oh, it is? It's in Brampton? It, I believe it's in Brampton. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely in this. Yeah, it's in Brampton. Oh, I'll have so to make a trip know. down then. You I'm do. excited, yeah. Um, <laughs> the next one is, um, I guess, the spread effect. So people assume that person's disability negatively affects other senses or abilities or personality traits or that the total person is impaired. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Could you could you elaborate that a little bit more? Like you yeah. mean the person? Yeah. Um, so I guess like that if if you know they have a physical disability, mm-hmm. well then their brain must also be completely impaired as well. So as mm-hmm. opposed to seeing certain disabilities as isolated from other aspects of their bodies um, and their abilities, you, you just see total impairment and kind yeah. of lump everyone in one basket. I guess. Yeah, and I, and I think that's just the ignorance on the person making that decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, it doesn't affect their life, they, the person, like the, the disabled, the differently able person. Right. They, they've, they've got their own uh, challenges yeah. and uh, positives that they're focused on. Yeah. So I think, if anything, you're the one who has to kind of get past that. <laughs> yeah. To, to be very blunt and honest, like yeah. it's, it's on you. Yeah. Um, and even looking at it from an Islamic perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It's always important. It's like, uh, we're all created different in some way, shape, or another. It's obviously it's part of the way we believe. It's part mm-hmm. of Allah's will, mm-hmm. um, and there's purpose to that. There's yeah. purpose to every life, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And he doesn't give you challenges that you can't take. So. Exactly. I love that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that one. I know. It keeps you going, right? It's like, I can do it. <laughs> it's gotten me through so many exams yeah. that haven't done well on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like there are certain, like, ayahs of the Quran that are just, like, if, if you, could, you could get your building for every time a Muslim person quotes this one. <laughs> you know? It's like, that's how much people say it. Like, if you got yeah, paid no, to say it. Yeah. And that's why they're so powerful, right? Yeah. They just continue to resonate with people. Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, the next one is, there's just a few more. Um, yeah. Next one is that 
people get special treatment as opposed to equal opportunities. And this one I find is like huge in terms of the conversation around what minority communities advocate for um, or around indigenous communities. People will often say, oh, they get special treatment as opposed to equal opportunity. So can you bust that one? So, so, so you mean obviously people from minority communities get special treatment mm-hmm. as opposed to those without, right? Yeah, and dis- um, folks with disabilities get special treatment. Yeah, I, I like this concept. Um, it, it's hard to kind of, it's, it's a cartoon that I saw. Mm. And it basically, the idea is, it's hard to kind of put it into words because mm-hmm. it's visual. Mm-hmm. But the idea was, let's try to focus on equity versus equality. Oh, is this the one with the baseball field? Yes. Yes, I love boxes. that one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and I love that concept in general. Like, let's try to focus on equity and equality. And by that, what I mean just because it's, uh, uh, before you start getting a lot of uh, feedback on your Twitter, Um <laughs> Equality is important. It's very important. But equity is sometimes people are working from a lower um, uh, socioeconomic element or different challenges, right? Yeah. It's about making sure we all develop and grow together. Yeah. Um, I know it sounds like this utopian idea, but it's very inherent in who we are as people mm-hmm. uh, and as Muslims too. Yeah. Um, so I think just all we're trying to do is trying to create a just and fair society, hopefully, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes you have to be a bit more cognizant of uh, of certain groups, yeah. uh, sort of level the playing field, if to use that term. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I love the whole equality equity element. I completely agree. Look at it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's like. Yeah, it's amazing. I'll put that image on my social media. So. Awesome. Um, yeah, if they want to refer to that when they come to this point, they can see that. I think it's like yeah, it's an incredibly powerful image, um, and does show that. Um, so another one is that people with disabilities are only comfortable with quote unquote their own kind. Mm. Yeah. That's really, but at the same time, I'm, <laughs> I'm really comfortable with my own kind. Yeah, I agree. Kind, I agree. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, let's not hate. Yeah. <laughs> Understand that sometimes we stick to our groups because they're shared experiences, because we yeah. can talk about stuff more. Yeah. Um, because we can relate more. Right. Uh, but at the same time, they're not precluded from hanging out with others. I think, I think you know what it is sometimes, and and I see this. Uh, for example, I'll use the children children's event as one example, right? Right. So it's a very inclusive environment where kids with disabilities and so on. And sometimes when we get new volunteers to come in, their heart is in the perfect space. Mm-hmm. They want to help out. Right. But they want to be respectful, or they don't know how to go about approaching. Right. Yeah. Like they don't know if because sometimes like. You're not like you shouldn't be approaching someone from the back and tapping them, or right. not even touching them, mm-hmm. right? Or keeping your distance in your space. So they're right. trying to understand. So for us, I can say what really helps is when we have a more experienced volunteer, we pair them up with a new fresh recruit. Right. So they're able to kind of like engage with them because mm-hmm. the experienced volunteer has had some interaction with that child, is sort of know the child, and that creates a nice inroad. So I think right. what it is is people don't know how to interact with each other mm-hmm. more so than that they don't on purpose yeah yeah so i think like the more comfortable space you can create around that uh and just like a place of understanding yeah. uh it just become a lot more easier yeah uh to kind of obviously engage with yeah agreed I, f- I find that i guess there are two points one is that in terms of this whole idea of political correctness mm. it can kind of um make you stuck in terms of how to engage and I feel we've almost gone from this, I say we, but obviously this is, this is a complex, uh, intricate 
uh, phrase, I guess, but we've gone from the uh, savior complex to the messiah complex. So savior complex meaning we wanted to fix everything and uh, save everyone and we knew exactly what was right, whatever, to going to the messiah complex where we're waiting to be saved, but we're not necessarily proactive anymore. Um, and we're just kind of waiting for people. I don't know. This is in my head. It, it, I haven't really thought it out yet. But um, but this idea where we're waiting to be saved, and that means that we're kind of just going to wait for everyone else to do the job because we we there. It's too complex. It's too hard. There's too many hard conversations to have and everything. Yeah. Um, and I almost feel like we need to take a step back from that and figure out you know, okay, yeah, the conversations are difficult, um, but they are necessary to have, and that, and that doesn't, yeah, again, preclude everyone from being able to interact with everyone. Yeah, um, no, I think, you're, like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, okay. And it reminds me of, like, at no point at any one of, like, these events, um, has a parent or a child ever been, like, rude uh-huh. uh, to a volunteer, and vice versa. Right. It's just, there's, like, trepidation hesitation initially because right. you don't know right but with time it sort of melts away mm-hmm. and then by the end of it you're just like hey how's it going yeah so. <laughs> yeah like pals yeah um and i guess this is i guess that kind of segues nicely into this next one is people with disabilities don't have a life of value and one way is meaningful friendships and conversations i guess but yeah so that's a huge huge myth mm. um simply because of the fact that um you know what, the, the only way I'd recommend anyone to, if someone thinks that, yeah. is, is come out to one of these events. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, come out, uh, whether it's a cooking class that's taking place, because yeah. we've had quite a few of those, whether it's an art class, a youth movie night, a bowling night. Yeah. Um, and, and I guarantee you, by the end of the evening, uh, you will definitely have made one new friend. Right. Uh, and it's, it's someone who obviously is, uh, is, is differently abled. Yeah. Uh, but I guarantee you that yeah. or you walk away with a, a very good experience. Yeah. Um, and that's what it is. Yeah. We, we, need, we need to start engaging more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think my grandma would definitely want me to come to the cooking class because <laughs> I run away every time. For someone who's so fond of food. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. I just hate the process. It's too. Ugh. Yeah. I think I think I just rebel from it because it's what's expected. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, when I when I when I was in uni, I survived off cereal, and frankly, I'm perfectly okay with it. Uh, but let me let me just say, it catches up to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what they always say. <laughs> I think I'll come to the cooking class. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, there you go. This is the fix. Um, and final MythBuster: uh, People with disabilities need to be fixed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. But how are you going to question? Yeah, and but, how are you going to uh, interpret that fixed term? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think if you're coming from that angle, it's just it's a matter of it's it comes from a place of ignorance. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just a matter of uh, get out, talk yeah. to people. Yeah. Um, no one needs to be fixed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what you need to do is uh, our responsibility uh, is uh, to help provide support and create an environment for them, mm-hmm. right? So at no point, even we at Smile, that we say that we help them. No, yeah. they don't need help in fixing. Yeah. Uh, we help create a better environment for them, yep. a better support environment, support services, yeah. 
so that they themselves uh, can take those steps and, and level up, right? Yeah. Um, even myself, like if, if I'm pursuing a career mm-hmm. or whether I'm in school, I take the help of my peers, my teachers, my students, other individuals, right? Yeah. I need that help. I need that support system in my life. So why is it any different? It's just yeah. it's different circumstances. Yeah. Uh, and we just kind of take it from there. Yeah. But they definitely do not need any fixing yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. If anything, you'll learn a lot. Exactly, exactly. So just be open to having conversations and engaging in events that are um, catered for everyone, really. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing, too. It's, like, it's really interesting that you ask these questions because you're absolutely right. People sometimes are just like, how do I go about it? And they're just, they're, they don't want to do the wrong thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So to that, like any volunteer that I can engage with that's coming, I'm like, don't worry about doing the wrong thing. Yeah. I know you're here. I know you're coming from a good space. Your intentions are good. Mm-hmm. Engage. The worst yeah. thing that's going to happen is you're going to learn. Right? Yeah, exactly. No one's going to fault you for anything. Yeah. Uh, if anything, we're appreciative that you came out and spent your time and your, your energy. Right. So obviously, uh, helping being part of someone else's journey. And in, the, in, in essence, being that being a part of your journey. So. Exactly. I love that. I'm not going to add to that because that's really, that's great. Um, just like literally a couple more um, regarding yeah. smile and disabilities. What does disability activism look like? Do you have much engagement with that? or? So, you know, activism is also interesting. I think this is uh, your forte yeah. uh, in terms of activism, mm. particularly, right? Um, I've, now this is me just personally speaking. Yeah. Uh, I've always loved the idea of, I'm a very hands-on person mm. in terms of doing stuff in the community or just with people, engaging with them. Yeah. Uh, so I like activism that's at the grassroots level. Yeah. It's like, you know what, like, don't wait for someone else or some other big program to do it. Yeah. Um, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about Savior and Messiah, mm-hmm. uh, the whole kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you get out and do something, yeah. uh, right? Even if it's small, you'd be surprised. Like, this whole thing started because one person, one person yeah. saw a need. And it only started like this to help one person, one other person, right? It's a one-on-one thing. Yeah. And over 10 years, it's become like a very uh, important part of the community. Right. I think it's important work that Smile does. Uh, and it's and other organizations like it. Yeah. So, uh, so going back to your idea of uh, activism, mm-hmm. uh, for me it's that. But with time, I've also learned, and it's learning that you do, that you need both approaches yeah. because that legislation approach, the advocacy, like the top-down approach, yeah. that scales so much more better, mm. right? Um, and it, they work hand-in-hand. Hand. Right. So to me, that's disability activism. Yeah. Uh, me personally, in terms of my understanding, I just like having a lot of conversations right. with people. So, for example, just people around me in my network, but even talking to you, right? It was very cool for you to kind of have us on, me on. Um talking to you and hopefully some of your audience members uh, listen and they engage and mm-hmm. things of that nature yeah uh, so just conversations agreed. Uh, because that's how the word spreads right yeah so. yeah agreed and, and you never know like like you said that if somebody from vancouver has like wants to start a chapter and then two other people happen to email in as well like you just don't know the power of conversations and what yeah. the connections can be made from that yeah and even to the point like uh you talking to your uh, your aunt about it, mm-hmm. and then she mentioned particularly the parent angle. Yeah. That's something I hadn't thought of, right. and I know I'll be bringing it up with the, the exact okay. team and like the larger team. Yeah. So, like, how can we appreciate parents more? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amazing. Um, and what kind of microaggressions do folks with disabilities face daily, 
And how do we strive to cultivate a norm where, and an environment where this isn't the norm? Uh, so could you elaborate a bit on microaggressions? Is that what you said? Yeah, microaggressions. So just like small things that are said to them daily or, um, you know, body movements or, um, you know, verbal behavioral, um, uh, engagements. And this can be intentional or unintentional, but they're often like hostile or derogatory or negative. Um, they don't, they don't treat people with respect and dignity, I guess, based on, you know, their ability. So, so I'll, I'll use a story to kind of elucidate this point, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of talks a bit about uh, the learning that's required in our community, the Islamic community, the Muslim community mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so there's a story of a mother taking her child to the mosque, Yeah. and he was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So she basically got into the mosque, took him out of the car, they went up the ramp, stepped inside to the mosque, mm-hmm. uh, she was taking off her shoes, and was about to wheel him in, so mm-hmm. obviously give him the same shared experience, uh, and she was stopped by one of the administrators there. Uh, and he said, basically, I'm sorry, but you can't come in. And she's like, why? Uh, and his his rebuttal or his thing was that the tires on your child's wheelchair are dirty, and they're going to make the mosque dirty. Oh, my God. Right? So it's like, so, so I was sharing this story with someone else, like, oh, I kind of get it. I'm like, no, I refuse to get it. Yeah. Uh, because at that point, your responsibility in your job is to find a solution around it. Yeah. Right? If yeah. you need to, yeah. take a piece of cloth and clean the tire. Yeah. There's four mini tires. It's not a huge thing or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, you do that. But you try to make an inclusive environment for everyone to come in. Right. Least of all, put, push someone away. Yeah. So so I think that's that's a that's something that could happen on a daily basis for yeah. someone who wants to go to the mosque daily or at least on a weekly basis for, yeah. for Juma. Yeah. So I think that's a microaggression that, and this tons, this is one example yeah. that people deal with. Like, figure out how you're going to help someone be a part of your community and yeah. our community yeah. versus putting up these walls up. Exactly. And I think, you know, some of the ones that I've encountered are people using baby voices to folks mm-hmm. with disabilities or saying, oh, poor you, like, I could never deal with that. Uh, yeah. you look so normal like just these things so I you're right you know we don't need to be putting up walls and limits on ourselves and on um, each other I guess um, absolutely we have the I, think, power I, think, to change I think those are those two that you just mentioned are really interesting as well yeah they happen on a regular basis yeah that's yeah hopefully yeah. through conversation that changes I yeah um, and final uh, question regarding smile is how has Smile changed the way that you engage with the conversation around disabilities within the Muslim community? So one, because I'm super engaged with Smile mm-hmm. uh, as a volunteer and as part of the team, um, it's always top of mind for me. So yeah. even to the point where like, I'll go to Moss and one of the first things I see is do have a, a ramp yeah. at the very least, right? Yeah. But, um, because a lot of our mosques are still like makeshift mosques right. in the community, right? Exactly. Just the way they are. It's like, do they have a ramp? Yeah. Once inside, now I've become <laughs> more cognizant to like sign language or closed captioning mm-hmm. uh, or things of that nature. So that's big. Yeah. Um, then I look at like, it, it's almost like it becomes natural because you're in that space. Yeah. Do they have proper space for a wheelchair to come in? Yeah. Um, if there's multiple people in a wheelchair, can they navigate comfortably inside? Because a person with a wheelchair can't hop over lines in a mosque, right? Let's right. be honest here. Yeah. Um, so it's like, is there space for them at the front, right? Mm-hmm. 
and not to make sure they're relegated to the back uh, on purpose because it happens a lot. Yeah. A lot, right? Yeah. It's like, so because it's almost like on purpose, you have to sit in the back. No, put them to the front. So, yeah. what I do like, as I have a few moms that I've been to, they make it a point to put the elderly uh, and uh, people with obviously different abilities at the front with chairs or spaces designated, yeah. almost like uh, a disability kind yeah. of space. Yeah. Uh, and they, they reserve it for them, right? Because they want them at the first stuff or the first line uh, of, the, of the prayer hall. Uh, so, so those things are really, really kind of top of mind. Um, and even and even the choice of words, which is really interesting, right? So mm-hmm. like the disability or different ability uh, elements come in. Mm-hmm. And then it also helps because when my friends know that I'm part of this, they'll talk to me about it, right? Mm. Hey, man, how do you guys uh, look at it this way? Yeah. Or, or sometimes there's certain words in our vernacular yeah. uh, that come up and that are not respectful. Uh, so the one word is like the R word. Yeah. That gets yeah. used very commonly. Yeah. Uh, and then I am very open about like just nice to think, hey man, that's not a cool word to use. It's right. kind of disrespectful to the community, right? Right. And people change that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like one simple thing. You do it nicely, and people are just like, it's a source of habit. I've used that term in the past before mm-hmm. I was a, a bit more woke. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, do I do I sound like a millennial now? Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> You'll pass. I feel I'll like you just say woke and you're into it. You're you're immediately <laughs> an arsenal. But uh, but yeah, so it's, it's it's just it's just like daily activity, and then just uh, that's how it's changed me on a day to day basis oh, in man. terms of how I advocate for it, yeah. where I look for things. Yeah. Um, and and, and others, sorry. Sorry. I was gonna. We're in this space where like I think we're revisiting and exploring and growing as a community mm-hmm. about a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. About how certain groups have been disenfranchised, uh, whether it's more recently about like the the Me Too movement, right? Yeah. Uh, and things of that nature, um, and. Only now we're becoming like so. I've had so many conversations. Like I know we're going off a bit of a tangent, but it's mm-hmm. sort of related because yeah. it's a community that's been not respected. I've had so many conversations with friends and my sisters about stuff they've experienced. Yeah, and it's like yeah, we just experienced it. I was like no, but I had no idea because yeah. no one talked about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. So you have to like check yourself. Yeah. And at the same time, with the disability community, it's a similar. It's like because people don't talk about it, they don't know. Exactly. Um, so you want yeah. to create that culture where it is safe to come out and talk about these things or normalize situations, right? That are otherwise yes. tabooed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So I have a couple questions just regarding um, like Islam and your Muslim identity and stuff. That sure. It's just like three questions that I ask everyone at the end of each episode just because I want to provide a alternative um, vision and or not vision necessarily, but narrative of Islam. Um, so the first thing I ask is, what is your favorite thing about Islam? Or one of them, I guess. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I think one yeah. of my favorite things is, it's sort of related to the topic we're talking about, mm. uh, but about acceptance for all. Mm. Um, and if you really look at Islam and you read the Quran and obviously the stories of the prophets yeah. and, and his companions and people after that, like some pretty odd, and even we're blessed to have some really, really uh, cool people in the community. Mm-hmm. It's just inclusivity. You don't judge people. You yeah. never judge people. Like, that's the one thing that gets to me. Yeah. In Islam, you're not supposed to judge anyone, period. Yeah. I hope I'm not coming across as preachy, but I just hate it, though. Oh, no, I agree. And I love, like, you know when uh, there's a quote where you point one finger at somebody and yes. you've got three pointing back at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's no need for the judgment, yeah. Absolutely. I, I think if you were to track the number of interesting quotes we have, we're at like yeah, five yeah. or six right now. <laughs> I know. It's 
a good ticker going on. <laughs> it's just so inspirational. Oh my god. <laughs> but uh, no, to to me, that's like the like you're not supposed to judge anyone. Mm. Um, you can obviously there's there's actions you can judge. That's my understanding. Yeah. Uh, but there's also repentance and forgiveness for those actions, right? Yeah. Uh, that you can ask for. Um, but I am not allowed to judge you. You're not to judge me. Judgment is only by obviously the one creator. Yeah. Uh, but our job is to, to be more empathetic and understanding uh, mm-hmm. and to be inclusive. So I think that's my favorite thing. I love that. Uh, about Islam, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And if you could tell your Muslim self of yesterday uh, one thing, what would it be? Uh, ooh. And it doesn't have to be like related to your um, religious self, I guess, or spiritual right. self, but just as a Muslim person and with that identity living in. You know what? So, so recently I've been on a, a little track where I have, I have cousins and a lot of them are at that stage where like they're heading off, like they're graduating high school and they're going off to like university, college and figuring out like their next selves in life, right? Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of conversations around like friends or uh, just people of that age. Yeah. The biggest thing I would say to the Muslim, my, my Muslim yesterday is like, you don't have to become a particular profession that's very common in yeah. our community, yeah. Yeah. right? You don't have, like, and I'll use this, and this is not a knock on these people because they're amazing and we need them, but, like, yeah. you don't have to become a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer. Yeah. You can go in media. That's so important. Mm-hmm. So important nowadays, right? Yeah. Uh, and I still feel like we need more and more. Yeah. Like, I can literally count in my hand how many big media names there are out there, but yeah. I see a lot of really cool people doing stuff mm-hmm. uh, that is advancing uh, the narrative and yeah. You're one of them. Like what you're doing with this podcast, I absolutely love it, and that's what I was like so excited to chat. To chat. Oh, thank you. You're, you're putting this really cool narrative out there, uh, and you're diverse in the kind of people you're talking to and the mm-hmm. topics you're talking to. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think it's really important. Those voices are really, really important. So that yesterday itself is explore stuff, mm. uh, explore different things, mm-hmm. um, test it out, and if you like someone, then go all in, right? Yeah. And then just go for it. Yeah. Uh, but don't be worried about what the community thinks at large because that's going to change. Yeah. And it's already changing. Yeah. The changing narrative. I agree. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be the one big thing. Brilliant. I like that advice. Um, and then at the end of the podcast, I invite folks to pray for people, causes, actions, um, individuals, etc. So is there anyone that you would like us to raise our hands, head, heart um, towards? Uh yeah, I, I think I think the was are really cool because well, look at me validating the was. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me they're cool because I think the more niche you can go with them, yeah, the more there's value. It's like the whole it's part of like what you put out there. Right. Like it, a part of me wants to go. I pray for everyone <laughs> yeah. and anyone who's doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. But let's go niche here, right? Yeah. So you know what I pray for? Mm. Um, I pray for. Um, I prefer all the people, and I'll talk about like the, the community here that we have, mm-hmm. that are doing some really uh, valuable work in the disability community. Mm. Um, I know it's kind of on topic, but that's where my head is I at. I love right it, now. yeah. Um, but uh, in the community, because the value that they bring is sometimes not overtly visible. Like, sometimes it's not quantifiable. Yeah. Uh, like, there's no metrics involved. There's no whatever involved, right? But in terms of improving the lives of people and the dignity of people, whether you're an occupational therapist or you're a doctor or you're in the health field or you're a nurse um, or you're just a volunteer who's really, really engaged, Mm -hmm. um, 
because some of our biggest advocates, like I can talk about our team, are like the, the lawyers that are very focused on providing the structure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone in that space of disability community that's trying to really improve mm-hmm. uh, and, and help others, um, I pray for them and their health and well-being and that they will continue doing what they're doing. I love that. And inshallah, yeah, please let's raise our hands for that as well as our head and our heart and our um, and through our actions as well. Inshallah. Yeah. And I, I, I love this three-pronged approach to the like a head, heart, and your actions. Yeah, yeah, I love. It's so almost like head, heart, and hands. Exactly. It's more like I got that from um, in terms of how to engage with dialogue with uh, different people. Mm-hmm. Is that if you actually want meaningful dialogue, you have to come to the you have to come with those three parts, um, mm. and then holiness as well would be the next one. But yeah. I'm not going to steal that. I'm just letting you know right now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's not mine, so (laughs) you can take it. Um, And then lastly, if folks want to connect with Smile um, and reach out to their supports and services or become volunteers, etc., or through social media, how can they do so yeah. or invest so I think I think the best thing is like if you're passionate about it you found something interesting mm-hmm. whether you found it interesting from a perspective of reaching out for services right or you know someone um, or if you want to help out and and don't be don't be hesitant to reach out if you're not like a healthcare professional like I'm not a healthcare professional mm-hmm. I have no background in that mm-hmm. but we, we obviously need help from people in so many ways from operations to marketing to administration to you'd be surprised if you're interested there's enough work and interesting work to be done. Yeah. Um, so the best way to do it is, I would just say go on Google yeah. or Bing if you're that person um, <laughs> and just and just type in Smile Canada mm-hmm. and we're the first hit that comes up. Oh, right. Uh, and just direct us to our website and at the bottom you'll see our email. That's the best way to reach out to us and we'll take it from there. Perfect. And then, and then if you're reaching out to us while well, listening to this, tell them you listen to us on the on the podcast. Uh yeah. The Rogue Muslim. Yep, that would be cool. Yep. So it'd, it'd be a cool way to track uh, that as well. Yeah, exactly. We'd appreciate it. Too, yeah, so. I agree. Um, so that's it for today. I really appreciate you coming on, Hassan, and sharing with us your experiences, your um, the challenges that you faced, and really being open to having a great conversation. Sorry, one second. Yeah, sorry, just got um, my grandma came in, but... Um, yeah, I really appreciate all that you've provided us with and for myth busting and for it's, it's been a long conversation, but I hope a fruitful one and that folks have really, um, been able to learn a lot of valuable things. So thank you. No, definitely. And and I want to say thank you for having us on, for having me on. Uh, and then also what I really liked is you brought things from a different perspective, like a whole myth busting angle. Yeah. Loved it. Oh, brilliant. So so keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and obviously we hope to obviously see you around. Inshallah. I appreciate the support. Inshallah. So that's it for this week's uh, episode. I really hope you all enjoyed it and that you it was a fruitful conversation and really inspired people to become more proactive. And, um, well, I mean, we're just so inspirational because of all the quotes we used and all. But, uh, I, wow, I just replayed that in my head and that was just awkward. Anyways, um, yeah, I do hope that it was a fruitful conversation and that maybe it helps to start conversations around um, disability awareness and engagement. And if you are interested in learning more about SMILE, you can visit their website, which is www.smilecan.org. 
And if you want to email them, it's just info at smilecan.org. I highly encourage you to check out their website. It's very accessible and um, definitely uh, discusses more about their supports and services and events that they um, host. So that's it from me. If you ever want to reach uh, into contact with me, you can email me at theroguemuslim.gmail.com. And all my social media is also just at theroguemuslim. So I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, If you have any ideas on how I can make this podcast more accessible, I do want to um, start typing out the podcast, but it's just a matter of resources and time. But if, I mean, if there are any volunteers, I'm down. Um, I can only pay in gratitude at the moment. But if you would like to support me in that, that would be great. And it is something that I am working towards. But till then, until next time, I hope you have an enjoyable rest of the week. Kadafis.